0: Good evening and welcome. Tonight, you are in for something a little different. Joyce Allen and I will tag team this message. Let's open with prayer. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather together in your name. God, we thank you for being in our midst, for helping us, oh God. Be with us, Lord, as we bring this word tonight. And be with those who are viewing this broadcast, God. Touch their hearts and our minds, Lord Jesus. Open our understanding, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We ask it all in your name. Amen. We're continuing our series entitled You Fool. In this series, we are taking a phrase that would normally be considered an insult and applying it to what it really means to go all in and live for God. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, saying, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. With this said, How should the Christian view their obedience to God in a world full of contrary ideals? Joyce, talk to us about this.
1: Carpe diem. This phrase, which means seize the day, is the notion of living for the day, making the most of it. According to Wikipedia, a more literal translation of carpe diem would be pluck the day as it is right. That is, enjoy the moment. Now, this sentiment could seem reckless, but I'd argue that viewed through the scope of the Bible, it could actually be a good notion to live by. Matthew 6, 25 through 27 says,
0: Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? And which of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow is tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't he clothe you even more, you people of little faith? So then, don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the unconverted pursue these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So then, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own.
1: Well, see, not worrying about tomorrow seems to be easier said than done. After all, the areas Jesus spoke of in Matthew, food, health, clothing, are pretty basic necessities. But what happens when our concern to have enough becomes obsessive and gluttonous? Take America, for instance. The American dream is the belief that anyone can achieve their version of success through sacrifice, risk-taking, and hard work. In the 1970s, the average number of Americans' work hours took a sharp upward turn. What the American dream used to look like, a small house, preferably in the suburbs, with 2.2 kids, changed. Americans begin to pursue more and more. Now, we often aspire to live in luxury, huge homes, expensive cars, and to own things just for the label and for the sake of keeping up with the Joneses. While our desire for things continues to grow, we pat ourselves on the back when others call us ambitious. Oftentimes, we diligently prep ourselves for the academic and professional future turning a blind eye to our spiritual life. We proudly use these catchphrases like, I'm chasing that bread, or I'm on my grind. The sad truth is, many of us are working too much, caring for our families too little, and we're definitely placing the pursuits of this world above those of the kingdom of God, and all under the clever yet deceptive guise of ambition. Preparation, ambition, diligence, these are held as virtues. But if they're out of balance, those ideals can be detrimental. As Christians, our ambitions are higher. Let's turn to a few biblical heroes to see how they dealt with their personal ambitions versus pleasing God. Abraham, at the age of 75, left everything he'd known, family, family, his homeland, culture, and everything familiar to him, to follow God. In Genesis 12, 1 through 5,
0: The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan.
1: Well. It's easy to leave all that you have when you don't have much. Here, we see that Abraham was not lacking. He had livestock and people. And most likely, the source of his livelihood was in Iran. But Abraham's ambition was to please God. He decided to sacrifice his familiarity and security and to take a risk by going to a land that God would show him. I'm sure that there were people in Abraham's life who called him a fool. Why would he risk all that, all that he had to blindly follow some God that he didn't even know? Abraham had to decide. God's blessings would only come to fruition through Abraham's obedience. Not only had God promised to protect Abraham and to give him land and fame, but also to make Abraham a great nation. To have an heir was a great ambition for Abraham and Sarah, and let's not forget, they were old. In their anxiousness, they grew impatient. Abraham and Sarah attempted to fulfill God's promise through human means. When the promised child finally came, God tested Abraham by telling him to sacrifice his son for whom this nation would come. It was decision time again. He had to choose between his personal ambitions and the will of God. Abraham chose to submit his will, his bragging rights, and the mark he would leave on this world to God. They were all wrapped up in this promised child. Imagine finally getting what you've been wanting your entire life and having to turn around and give it away. What a fool. Moses is another good example of someone who chose what looked foolish over what looked wise. As Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 through 26 reads,
0: it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward.
1: Well, scripture depicts the very things that Moses gave up, position, money, comfort, comfort, reputation, are the very things we're conditioned to strive for. From a worldly perspective, he looked like a straight up fool to give away all that he had in order to, def- to defend, some worthless slaves. Moses went from living as royalty, he had servants, well, prestige, to living as an outcast among ordinary people in the land of Midian. Yet, he did it because he wanted to be pleasing to God. How did he do it? By looking beyond the treasures that were present and temporal. He fixed his gaze on what others couldn't see, What a fool. But Moses had a higher ambition. Now, this last character that I'll share with you this evening takes the cake. Have you ever thought of what you'd ask for if you could have anything in the world? Well, I'm sure you have at some point or another. Solomon was actually presented with that opportunity. When Solomon became king, God appeared to him as 1 Kings 3, 5-14 says.
0: That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you show great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on your throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous that uh, they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you have not asked for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you long life.
1: What an amazing God we serve. Mm -hmm. Did you catch that? Solomon went against the grain. Kings typically want wealth and power and longevity, but Mm -hmm. Solomon wanted to treat God's people right. His attitude pleased God, and God gave Solomon the very things that we tend to set our eyes on. He gave him money, fame, long life, and a lasting legacy. How much more could we want? My point here is not to say that God wants to make us all rich and famous, but it is to point out what I know to be true, that if we seek the kingdom first and all of his righteousness, all of these things will be added to us as God sees fit. As believers, that is what we're called to do. We must live against the grain of society. Our cultural norms and the ways of thinking are so deeply ingrained in us that we have to consciously put off those things that are in conflict with God's word. When we surrender our ambitions to pursue God's plans for us, not only will we find a place among those who are truly wise, like Abraham and Moses, and so many others who chose this walk of faith, but you'll begin your journey towards your great reward. In response to Peter saying, we've given up everything to follow you, in Mark ten twenty nine, Jesus replied,
0: And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or property, for my sake and for the good news, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then.
1: Wow, speaking of a great reward, we must choose to see what others cannot. When we choose to keep our eyes on the world, the mark of satisfaction, that mark of achievement, keeps on moving. What's great now will not be trending tomorrow. When we attain some great goal or some fantastic material thing, it seems to lose its luster. We often find emptiness. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we're free from this world's empty pursuits. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul, a very prestigious man, Looked at all he had achieved in the light of Christ and put it this way.
0: I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him.
1: So, dare I say, live your life as a fool for Christ today and tomorrow and the next day. Won't make sense to many, but we can't let it stop us. Remember, we need to become fools to be truly wise, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Choose to have a higher ambition, choose to please God. Dear Jesus, Yes. we thank you for this day blessed us with thank you for giving us the privilege as well as the desire to follow and to do what pleases you we thank you for the ability to gather together as believers help us lord to be guided by your spirit no matter how we may look to others we love you lord jesus in your mighty name we pray amen
0: in jesus name amen
1: thank you so much for watching and god bless you all
0: Thank you and have a great night.